you, Jesus. So today's message is uh, that, you know, we're made to be like God. And this is, this is part two of Psalm 139. So we're, we're still right there. We're actually going to hover there for a little while because there's just so much there. The psalm is so rich. So we're not done with it. Um, so we're going to read it again, and I'm going to zero in on a couple of things that I didn't last week. Although, uh, for those who were like at Christmas time, God laid this on my heart for a like men's breakfast. So if you were here, you've heard a, a portion of today's message. But I, I thought about that. I prayed about that. I was like, Lord, that happened. Then I, then I spoke at Teen Challenge. So some of those guys heard a little bit of this. And I felt like, hmm, I don't want to just kind of repeat it. And I felt like the Lord said, no. What I do all the time is repeat myself. All the time I repeat myself. Just think of you with your children. Okay, go out and get changed. You're not changed yet? Go get changed. Come down. They're not changed. What are we doing? Go, go get changed. Yeah, I just, we're trying to get to school. Now we're 10 minutes late. Uh, upstairs watching a show get changed you're yelling upstairs you know it's just like God does that with us get changed (laughs) you're not changing (laughs) I'm trying to make you into my image I'm trying to draw you close I love you so much and the way that you are is actually hurting you get changed I want to do new things inside of you what you are is beautiful what you will be is magnificent Let me keep moving inside of you. Get changed. So this word changes us. It says that as we behold him, we become more like him. These words are real. They're eternal. God's word is eternal. So let's read the psalm again, but then kind of get into it. And I'm going to give a repeated application. So if you heard a portion of this, I apologize. And yet I don't. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, I prayed about it. I felt like God said, no, this is what we're doing. I'm like, okay, so you're the boss. Always. So let's read Psalm 139. So back to the beginning. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. Isn't it just wild that he even cares about what you're thinking? (laughs) Just that much. He cares what you're thinking. And careful because he knows it. Just wild. From afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say surely, and this is, this is the zoom in today. If I say surely the darkness will hide me and light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. The darkness is as light to you. A little further, though, and this is part of it. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them even came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. I love that. If only you, and his way loses his mind for a second. (laughs) If only you would just slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I've got nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This, this psalm, gosh. Okay, we're going to be on it next week. I'm going to tell you right now. I'm not done. I'm not, I'm not going to finish today. But I am going to zoom in on this. Okay. Whew. Verse 11 says, Surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. If I say that, if I say, surely that'll happen. Even the darkness won't be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Thank you, Jesus, for that. All right. These scientists did this study a while ago. And I'd mentioned this, so sorry for the repeat, but I just got to go. They did a study, and they, they took, this was like in the 70s, they took 300 rats, and they dropped them in this barrel of water. And it's dark in there. And it's filled almost to the top, and they put a lid on it. And they're just waiting. They're timing it. They've got a little camera in there so they can see what's going on. And, and they're waiting to see how long it takes for the rats to all drown. Scientists are not nice people, generally. They, they, <laughs> you know, it's just interested in science. I don't really care what you feel, rat. So the rats are they're drowning kind of fast. Inside of three minutes, all of them are dead, except for one last guy, the strongest little rat, little Popeye rat with four arms. He's swimming. And they pull the, just as he's going down, they pull the lid and they pull him up out of there. He's like, oh, I'm saved. (laughs) No. So here's the next experiment. They take the one rat in three minutes, in three minutes in total darkness treading water, in three minutes all rats are dead and the last one almost. They take the last rat, pluck him out of the water. They put him in the same Barrel of water, a different barrel of water, not with the other 299 dead rats, but another rat, barrel just like the first, same cap. Bloop, drop him in, put the lid on, camera inside. That rat treads water for over three hours. That gives me chills, and it should you, because it's about the power of hope. Because with no hope, and just plunked in there and thinking, no one's going to pull the lid. I'm going down. I'm going down. Just, you don't swim very hard. You die fast. If you feel like there's only darkness around you, surely the darkness around me will cover me. Surely there's no way out of this. Surely the situation I'm in is too deep even for God. Surely there's nothing that can be done but to tread water, but I'm never getting out, so I guess I'll just... Three hours for the one that got plucked before he finally went down. I don't know. If they plucked him again, he might have made it like three days. But the fact of the matter is, hope is powerful. Hope 
is powerful. And without hope, it's equally destructively powerful. No hope will sink you. Hope in something real like the Lord Jesus Christ, an anchor that holds, ground firmament that can't break away underneath of you, the rock that holds, that kind of hope is powerful. And you can tread water a lot longer than you think, and that hand is coming to pluck you from that darkness. So, you know, if you think darkness isn't powerful, if you think darkness is not scary, if you think darkness has no real impact, look at my face and open my app. Do it. Thanks. All right. If you think it doesn't, there are 10 plagues in Egypt. God is using them in succession to make the Egyptians let his people go. And he, he's working in Exodus. And he's, and he's working his way through the 10 plagues. And they get increasingly bad because he's getting to the last one where all the firstborn children will be dead. So anyone who didn't paint the blood pointing to Jesus Christ of the Lamb on their doorpost, when the wrath of God comes, their firstborn dies. And so the Egyptians don't get it, so all their first, firstborn are dying. The Israelites following instructions of painting blood on their doorposts are just doing exactly what God said to do, just trying to follow the instructions, and their, their, their child doesn't die. Well, the, that was the worst. That was the one where Pharaoh finally breaks and says, go, just go, just get out of here. We hate you all. Go, take our stuff. The one right before it was the plague of darkness. And Scripture was so clear what it was. So I think that's my next slide, if I haven't screwed up the order. Yeah, perfect. And Actually, I'll read it right up here with you. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt. Darkness that can be felt. Listen to the phrasing. Darkness, you can't feel darkness. But actually, yes, you can, can't you? Why do we have so many people on antidepressants? Because you can feel darkness. Why do we have a problem with suicide? Because you can feel darkness. Darkness is heavy. Darkness, when it's super light and you're at Disney and it doesn't matter because you're dark and everybody else is having a blast and you're there and who cares? You're not going to have fun because you're in a dark place. Darkness is pervasive. Darkness invades places where you shouldn't even feel dark, where other people around are light and you're not. You're being at church and everybody's worshiping and you're just sitting, I'm not there. That's a, it's a dark feeling. It gets darker as people around you feel like they're having a better time. So darkness, that can be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and Total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three days, yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. All the Israelites had light. Moses even goes on to call. Uh, Pharaoh goes on to call Moses, who comes to him. They're in total darkness. But Moses walks in with his beam of light on him. He knows where he's going because he's got light. They can't see anything, but he can see. It said they couldn't even see the hand in their face, but he could see. He walks right up into, right into Pharaoh's camp, right into his uh, throne room. He could see, but they're in total darkness. That's the people of God. We're walking around with the light. We can see. We can see. The light's been turned on, but there's people around you in total darkness. You're both in the same room. They should be able to see, but they don't have the light. The Israelites had the light. It's important that we use it. 
It's important that we don't feel like we're in the darkness. But if we do, that we have a place to go, the eternal light, God who is light. So let's take it a little further. My next, uh, next portion, I think, is just fascinating because this is in Genesis. And we're talking about how God makes us into his image, made into his image. Well, Scripture says in John, 1 John 1, 5, that God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. God is light. That doesn't mean that's all he is. It also says God is love. Is that a discrepancy? No, he's both. He's love and he's light. This, this multifaceted, amazing God is many things. But he's both of those, and he's, he's so much of those that there's no hate in him, there's no deceit in him, there's no lie in him, there's no sin in him, there's no darkness in him. He's only light. He's only love. It's pretty powerful. And so if you look at, if, um, if you look at what we're seeing here in Genesis, I'm going to take it to mine. So I'm going to read it here instead of turning around so I can stay facing you. So here, Genesis 1. And God said, 1-3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. He's, he's creating everything right now. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So I'm going to go a little bit further down, and, you know, he creates a few things and, and you know, separates the sky from, from the water below, and then he makes some living creatures. And then you get to this. Right there, 14. God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. First thing that fascinates me about this is what are the lights that are on the earth? What do you see at night? Stars. You're seeing all kinds of stars. And, they're, and, and they're, they, could be, they could be millions of miles away so that the speed of light moving with such enormous speed, just ludicrous speed in space, through space, there are stars that could be gone and we still see their light for 20 years because they're so far away. It's taking so long for the light to get to us that the source could be gone and the light's still traveling. All of that light in all of that expanse of space, the Scripture tells us was just God showing off. He was... He was directing it towards the earth to give light on the earth, to mark seasons, to mark times. We look at constellations to navigate. How many stars, how many stars in our solar system? One. <laughs> Everybody always says that, but I love doing that to my fifth graders too. How many stars in our solar system? I don't know, like 20 million? No, one, guy. It's uh, the sun. You know, it's, this, it's the solar system. So a solar system is just one star and everything going around it. So I did that on purpose to make you feel bad. Sorry about that. But it was kind of funny, though, to listen to people, you know, give out answers. It's just, that's just fun for me. So anyway, so uh, it's our solar system. We're the third rock from it, Earth. All of it's just moving around like it's supposed to because that's what God did. He just breathed it into existence and it's happening. But there are two, two lights that we really focus on. God made two great lights, verse 16. The greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And then he also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that that was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Okay, this is not a trick question. What's the greater light? Okay, boom. What's the lesser light? 
You're on it. Okay, some people are like, I'm not answering that. I don't want to say stupid. It's just the sun and the moon. The greater light governs the day because it's already lit up. The lesser light governs the night. The lesser light is the moon. The sun is hydrogen helium. Boom, 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 boom. Atomic explosions. Constant heat energy. Scientists don't even understand it. With, with negative 900 degree Fahrenheit all around it, how does that thing keep burning and not, not fuse out at some point? There's no source and it just keeps booming. Scientists, they don't get stars. There's no getting stars. They just are because God spoke them into existence. You can't get a start. Something shouldn't burn with no source. You got some logs on the fire, and there aren't, and it just keeps going in the middle of freezing cold space that you would die instantly in if you're floating around. Not just because you couldn't breathe, because you'd freeze to death. But in the wrong place, you'll, you'll burn to death. Don't get too close to that thing. So that thing's this powerful ball of light. You can't even stand near it. You can't get near it. We're 93 million miles away from it, and that's just perfect. But we have a rock that floats around us every 28 days, 28.5 to be exact. We've got this rock, the moon, that's floating around us, and that has no light. If there wasn't a light source shining on it, you would never see it. The only reason you see it at night is because that sun is shining on it. If it's in the right angle, you'll see the whole thing. If it's at a bad angle, you see almost none of it. If it's on a side angle, you'll see this half moon with a straight edge. That's the only reason you see it. It's lit up by the sun. It's the only reason that anyone would see a Christian in any kind of other way than just a dead rock. It's because the light of the sun is shining on you. It's the only reason you shine. It's the only place your light comes from. We are made from the earth. We are earth. We are dust like the moon. But we light up because the sun is shining on us. We light up and, we, and then it's deeper. Listen, it's deeper. It says that the sun was made to govern the day. God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. When it's day, he's governing everything. But in the night, in a place of darkness, Isaiah says, on a land of darkness, Deep darkness, a great light has shone. So we live, and talking about the Messiah to be born, we live in a land of deep darkness. Don't mistake that. I don't think anybody has. Don't mistake that. It's a land of deep darkness. But we weren't made to die in three minutes scrambling inside of a barrel. We were made to govern the darkness. We're the lesser light. We're still light because the light that's shining on us, we're still light, but we were made to govern the darkness. That's so important. Please listen. That means that the darkness can't govern you. Amen? The, governess, the governor is not the darkness. You are because he is, because of the God that you serve. You don't have to just suffocate and die and drown out and tread water until it's over. You were made for more. You were made for light. You were made to govern the darkness. You can say to the darkness, no, you flee. I have the light inside of me. I have the light. I don't, I don't buy into your lies. No, I won't live here. I have, to, I have to presently live here, but I'm lighting it up. I'm not going to sit here and just be in the dark. Okay, so... So let's look at a few scriptures that go with it. Here's my next slide. 
Oh, someone caught up in the message. <laughs> oh, yeah, right, here it is. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. The only reason you see the moon is it's lit up. The only reason someone sees a Christian is because they're lit up. That's the only way, okay? It's the only way that you're going to suddenly look different is because Christ is shining through you. It's the only way this message works today is if Christ is shining through me. It's the only way anything has any supernatural value. Next scripture. For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. This is from Ephesians, by the way. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the... Ooh. <laughs> You're right. Lord, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Don't live in the darkness and live in the darkness. Don't participate in the darkness. Follow the light. You are light. God's given it to you. If you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, the light is in you. Next scripture. This is the one I quoted in Isaiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Keep that up there. Do you hear how powerful that is? The greater light was to govern the day. The lesser light was to govern the darkness. But the light governing the darkness was never meant to be on your shoulders. It was never meant to be on your shoulders. It's on his. The scripture says that, that the government will be on his shoulders. The government of this depth of darkness that's so wrong that we cannot change it. It's too hard for us. It's too big for us. There's too much going wrong. I came in the other day and I looked at my desk and there was all these things. I had four or five meetings stacked up. I had all the stuff there. I was like, I don't even, I don't even know where to start. I, I was painting it, so I had everything pulled off the walls. There was stuff everywhere. I got to zip it back on after you, you know, you take all of the outlets off, covers off, and everything. I was thinking, I don't even know, I don't even know where to start. A little mini panic attack. And you just pray, like, oh, wait, 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 wait. It doesn't even matter where I start. The government's on his shoulders. This day is going to work out. The government is on his shoulders. It is not up to me. We read it last week, Romans 9, uh, 16. No, 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 no. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Yeah, Romans 9.16. Look it up. See, check me on this. Uh, it does not therefore dependent. It's not, it is not there dependent on man's effort, but on God's mercy. It's, it is not therefore dependent on man's effort. He is the governor, and the government rests on him. So if you want to govern the darkness, just draw close to him, and he will govern the darkness through you. That's the power. That's the moon. That's the moon with no light of its own. Lighten up the darkness. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isn't that who you want as the governor? Right now? In Maine? Yes. Uh, of the greatness of his government, at the greatness of his government, there, the peace, there'll be no end to it. There'll be no end. Where we're headed as Christians is a place where peace doesn't end. Anybody in here suffer from anxiety sometimes like I do? Well, then know that where you're headed, Christian, is a place where it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. There's no darkness. Next scripture. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Next one. 
You may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Dark. And listen to this. This is key. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So it's more than just you're a moon reflecting light. You're being made into a star. You're being made like God. The whole intention of what God did in the beginning was he made us in his image. And then he's making us into his image. But it's more than just looking like him. We're going to act like him, think like him, breathe like him, create like him. We're going to a place where we will be like God. He's clear in his scripture. He's drawing us to that. We will reign with him forever. Sinlessly. That's our... You just can't sit there and go, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) Wow, I'm going to reign with God. That's cool. But I do have something to do after church. I hope I can get that done on time. You know, you, like, like just, just let it come over you for a second. What we've been given is insane. There are people buying lottery tickets. I had a friend. This might offend you. I'm going to say it. I had a friend in Florida, teacher friend, math teacher, and he said, you know what I call a lottery? I said, what? He goes, a tax on stupid people. I'm like, ooh, that hurts. He goes, well, I'll, I'll, I'll tailor it back. Attacks on people who are bad at math. I said, that's nicer. Use that one. <laughs> Use that one. And it's not that you're stupid if you buy a lottery ticket. I bought lottery tickets. I was personally offended when he said it. I mean, why not try every now and then? You know, you feel like, I might just have the numbers. This amazing, amazing God has offered us something that blows the stupid lottery away. And it's a sure thing. You just ask for him to come into your heart and then decide you're going to live for him. It's that simple. Yeah, it costs something. It costs you your will. But it's free. All right. So there's something else in Genesis 1. I have no idea if it's my next uh, slide or not. But if, if it isn't, once this there you go. All right, so go to, uh, if, you're, if you have this slide in front of you up there where it says Genesis 26, that's what I want. Sweet. Then God said, same, same set of verses in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, another very rich place. Then God said, hey, let us, Jesus, Holy Spirit, let us make, you know, a trinity, a little, little nod to the trinity right out the gate. God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea. I made them to govern. I made them to rule. I didn't make them to tread water. I made them to rule over everything with the light that I put inside of them, with the breath that I breathed into them, the hands that I knit them together with. I made them to rule, not to just take life as it comes. Then God said, let's make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. They will rule over them. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We were made to rule and reign, not just sustain 
not tread water. Uh, give me my, my next slide. Okay, so a little, little backdrop. Moses is, he's, he's just come off that little window where God gives him the Ten Commandments. He goes down, all the people are worshiping golden calves, and they, they're like barely a couple months out of Egypt. Like, what, how, how, how? Aaron, how'd you let this happen? And, and he just walks into chaos, and, you know, he, he, he breaks down the idols and, make, and grinds them into powder, makes everybody drink it. Levites go through their own brothers just slicing people up. It's a mess. But what happens is here. He goes back up. He's talking to Moses. I talk, Moses talking to God. You know, I'm so sorry that what's happening. God at one point said, hey, why don't you move away from him? I'm going to wipe him out. Oh, no, God, don't do that. What will people say? You just brought your people up here to destroy them? That doesn't make any sense. Just don't do that. And they have this conversation because Scripture says that God talked to Moses and Moses talked to God like friends. Like he's just talking to a friend. He had 10 of me and just go talk to God. Everybody else, they can only go into the most holy place once a year and with blood. And he's got to be the high priest. It's a specific person. And he can just walk in and out of there whenever he wants and just talk to God. He's a New Testament kind of guy. By the way, so can we. So can we. We can go into the most holy place whenever we want. It's been, it's been given to us by Jesus Christ. But Moses, kind of ahead of the game, gets to do that. In and out of the tent of meeting. In and out of the tent of meeting. In and out of the tent of meeting, which became the most holy place. So here we go. You've got Moses. And he says, uh, Mo- Moses said to the Lord in this conversation, listen, what he's saying to him is, I, I want to see you. I've been talking to you, but I, I actually want to see you. And so Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you haven't let me know whom you'll send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you found favor. See, we click these fast. Nice with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. Okay, don't click it yet. If you, <laughs> I tricked you. <laughs> that was dirty. I got to, well, come on. <laughs> Made me look bad for everybody. Okay, so listen. So then Moses said, if your presence doesn't go up with us, don't send us up from here. He's saying, I won't go somewhere without your presence, God. And if I go somewhere that your presence isn't going to be, I don't want to be there. We need to adopt that thought process. We need to adopt that thought process. God, if you're not in it, I don't want to be either. If this isn't where you want, if this isn't where you're taking me, and I don't even like where you're taking me because I'm not sure where it's taking me, <laughs> I still want to go there because I don't want to be somewhere you aren't. All right, back to this end. All right. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from the other people on the face of the earth? Now, here's where it gets wild. Okay, keep flying. And the Lord said to Moses, I'll do the very thing that you've asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Did we not read that in Psalm 139? We're fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows every thought. There are books written and our name and our thoughts and our actions are already in them before we're born. So, yes, he knows us by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, 
I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. There is a filter that you must have. If you're going to stand on the moon and you're going to look at the sun on that super hot part of the moon, you've got to have a suit on that's got thermal controls or you'll burn up. You ha- and you can't breathe there. So you have, to have, you have to have oxygen in that thing. Now, I know there's some out there that don't think we land on the moon. Well, either way, if you did land, you'd need this. I thought we did. I'm still kind of believing that, but who knows, you know. I think Disney's going to be ticked, though, because they made a movie about it. Uh, so you cannot see my face. No one can see me and live. You can't stand there without a suit. You need some kind of filter for that kind of power. If you're going to stand in God's presence, you need some kind of a filter. You, you, you'll, get, you'll blow up. You, you, it's too much. It's like standing on the sun. You can't stand there. It's just too much. He's too holy. He's too wild. He's too powerful. But if you've got Jesus on you, if you have Jesus in you, you've got the earth suit, you've got the moon suit that you need. You can actually be there. You can be in that presence. You can breathe. You, you, won't, get, you won't vaporize. You've got the blood of Christ on you. All right. How's that happen? You invite. Back to the next one. Then the Lord said, There's no, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft in the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand until I've passed by. And then I'll remove my hand, and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. What do you think that cleft of the rock is? What do you think that rock is? Do you know that in Corinthians it tells us that there was a rock that accompanied the Israelites, and that, and that rock was called Christ? That's what the rock is. He said, there's a rock real near you. You get water from it all the time. Uh, I'm going to put a little cleft in it, and I'm going to stand you in it, and then you can safely be there while I pass by. Because if you don't have Jesus wrapped around you, you can't see me without blowing up. Okay, so here we go. So then I'll remove my hand, and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. Uh, Boom. Next one. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I'll write them on the words that I'll write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chills out two stone tablets like the first ones. He went up on Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. Keep, keep flying off. I'm not going to trick you. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. Real quick point. Now hold a real quick point. What Moses has done is he's holding the word of God. He's gotten up early. He's come to talk to God with his full attention. And he's holding the tablets in his hand with every intent to talk to God. And God came down and met there with him. We have that privilege every single morning that you wake up. Every morning you wake up, hold the word of God and wait for him to arrive and he'll sit with you. Hold the word of God. I was mentioning this in my group, uh, my journeys group on Wednesday, uh, a couple weeks back. Sometimes, you know, if you're sore or something, you go to stretch and you try to stretch, you can't get very far, you feel like a loser. But if you just hold that stretch for a little while, your muscles relax and you can go further, 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 further. Pretty soon you're, you're really getting some distance. You're like, wow, that's weird. I felt like I could get nowhere. But if you just hover for a little while, you get some distance and then you can kind of loosen up that muscle, whatever athlete thing. But it's a spiritual thing. Don't just open up and expect that God's going to boom 
boom. I mean, when those times happen, sometimes he does that. Like you open up, it's like confetti comes out of the book. You boom, like one of those cards. But usually it's not. Usually you're digging. Usually you're looking. Usually you're a metal detector. You're going around the beach trying to find where it is in the sand. Sometimes it's like that. And most times it's like that. But if you go carrying the tablets and you, you, the word of God to God in the morning and look for him, collect the manna while it's early, before everything happens, before all the kids wake up, before your day starts, before you're in rampant treading water mode in the barrel, you know, before all that happens. And expect to meet with him. And he meets with you. Oh, the Lord proclaims his name. And this is what it is. He, are you okay? And he passed in front of Moses and, and proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. This is God talking about himself. He's revealing his character. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and really millions, and forgiving wickedness. Rebellion, sin, yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation, except for when someone accepts Christ and that sin doesn't exist anymore and that changes things and that breaks the cycle. You see? When that sin doesn't exist, there's nothing left to punish for because the sin's been taken to the cross. So it's not like, okay, now we've got three more generations got to suffer through the stuff I did. Well, No. Not when you turn your heart over to Jesus Christ and start walking with him and then train those children to do that. But this is a time where he's telling them, look, I gave the Amorites 450 years to repent. Or I'm going to give them that much time, Abraham. Then your people are going to go in and punish them because they're not going to. I'm only telling you this because I already know it. So, a God who says to Abraham, I mean to Moses rather, to Moses, I'm going to put you in a cleft of the rock, I'm going to let you walk by. Just a little while later, actually, pardon me, a little while earlier, he goes up to this mountain that looks like a volcano with fire on top. He's going to go up there. He's going to walk right up Mount Vesuvius. But all the other guys are at the bottom. And he's allowed to bring some elders forward. He says, get Aaron and some elders. He said, you said they'd all die if they came near the mountain. He said, no, bring them, bring them. Bring, them, bring 70 elders. Bring them up. Just, just close enough. Not all the way up. Just, just close enough. And then when they get there, they see this like sapphire pavement and the feet of God. They see the feet like he's sitting on a throne looking down. And they see his feet. And they just bow down. They're worshiping. And they're feasting right there. They're just like this is this, this worship service. And then Moses gets to see the whole thing. God shrinks himself down enough for, for Moses to actually see in his vantage point and walks in front of him while he's in a cleft of the rock, which is Jesus, and he gets to see it happen. Can't see his face. That's still too much. <laughs> so he's just got to see the rest. So he sees his back. He sees his shoulders. He sees his arms. He sees his hands as he swings by. He sees his feet. He sees whatever he's wearing. He sees God. Hears him tell his character, I forgive sin and rebellion. I am gracious and generous and I love people. Tell people this. I'm telling you my character as I walk by. I can't not be who I am. And then, who writes Genesis? Not a trick question. Who writes it? Moses. 
So Moses, way after this, is writing in Genesis by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's, uh, let's make man in our image. We'll make him just like us. Moses knows it's true because he watched God walk in front of him. Moses isn't just writing stuff he doesn't get. He watched God walk in front of him, and then he writes, guys, I mean, this is, this is God talking. I, I'm writing. This is God talking. But he made us in his image. I watched him walk by. I got fingers like him. I got feet like him. I have knees. I got a back like I got shoulders like him. He's made like, uh, well, whoop. we're made like him. We're made like him. He's not lying. So he writes it for you. When he starts off everything, he breathes life into man from the sand. Made him in his image. You are made in God's image. And you're being made to be just like him. So here's the last part. The psalm starts with and ends with the same theme, but they're slightly different. So please watch this. They, they're slightly different. You don't, you don't even have to pull this up. If you did, that's amazing. But you don't have to. But watch this. This is the coolest thing. Psalm 139. We're getting right back there. The place we started, the place we finish. Verse 1 says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. That's how the psalm begins. The only place that that very phrasing is used, except at the end. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. Here's the end. 23. Right after he kind of loses his mind, says how much he hates people. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Please search me. The psalm starts with him saying, God searches us. Be aware. He searches you. Be aware. He knows what's going on inside. He's searching you. He knit you together in the womb. He knows what you're about. He watches you get up. He watches where you go. He watches where you lie down. He watches where you sit down. He watches what you say. He watches what you don't say. This God knows all that. He searches it. But at the end, David's just telling us that he does that. But at the end, David's saying, search me. I'm inviting you to search me. First, I know that you do. But now I'm asking you to. Search me. If you find garbage in here, clear it up. If you find weakness in here, strengthen it. If you find brokenness in here, repair it. If you find me not saying things I should have said to my son, to my wife, to, to my daughter, to my friends, to my coworkers, then help me have a megaphone to speak what you want said. And if you find me not saying things that I should be saying, then, or, or saying things I shouldn't be saying, then clamp my mouth shut or my fingers on social media. Listen. He's asking God, search me. So if you're sitting out here wondering, what is this whole thing about? Ask God to search you. He already is doing it. 
But when you actively activate the Holy Spirit's movement in your life by saying, you know what, please come in. Search me. I want to live for you now. I'm sick. I've tried this. I'm sick of it. I want to live for you now. Change who I am to be made into your image. I get it. I get it. Sin has drawn me here. But I don't want to be in darkness. I don't want to be treading in the barrel. I want you to pluck me out. Search me. Change me. Make me into what you want. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Ask him that. He will do it.